This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. A subject matter that we are always dancing around is regarding the creation and preparation of drawings. Fundamentally, and at their essence, drawings are at the core of what architects do, and they allow us to have a conversation with owners, clients, colleagues, contractors, and developers, basically everyone in the business, without having to say a single word assuming you do it correctly. Construction drawings are getting harder, the sets are getting bigger, and we have more problems than ever. Welcome to episode 99, Construction Drawings. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today, Andrew and I are going to talk about construction drawings. And I'm not going to make the distinction between construction drawing and construction drafting or any of that kind of stuff. It's just, we're talking about drawings as a form of communication, and we're talking about drawings that take place at a certain part along the process. So that's the table that we've set. When you have these conversations, we're always talking about drawing and we know what we mean. Drawing is construction drawings. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, it just depends. Like, drawing could be sketching. Drawing could be... True. I mean, we draw differently at different phases of the project, for sure. Uh, that's not even true either. I do technically sketch during the design process because for me, how you build it is intrinsic to what it is and the design of it. Sure. But I don't do construction drawings as part of my design process. Yeah, but when we talk about we got to get the drawings out, those are construction. <laughs> We're, we got to get these drawings done. Oh, yeah. It's construction drawings, construction documents. Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, we should also say for those of you, well, I guess everybody's listening at home, presumably. <laughs> So, Andrew's been awake for about five minutes, so he's even more baritone <laughs> than normal, and I'm getting over the flu, so I'm a little more baritone than normal. So, hopefully, this will turn out okay. It'll be fine. It'll be our basiest episode ever. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get into this, and I think if we're going to talk about it, we got to start with, obviously, at the beginning, but what does the beginning mean? And I go, that's teaching people actually how to make construction drawings. Which, as I was typing up my thought process, I was like, when does that actually happen? Does it happen in school or does the academic industry put most of that on the profession since we do technically have an internship process built into our, the creation of architects mm -hmm. it requires you to work in a real world before you get licensed? Because I don't really remember having like a dedicated, this is how you do construction drawings class. Does that exist? Not currently in my school. It did when I was there. I actually took an actual construction drawing class. And the whole semester, all we did was we hand-drafted a set of construction documents. Really? Yeah. But that got eliminated. I don't know. They said, what's the point of this? <laughs> yeah. Well, that professor retired and some other things like that. And we don't have a class like that anymore, at least in my school. And I don't know if other schools do or not, but I don't think it's as prevalent as it used to be, for sure. Well, and we should clarify, this is not people that go to school to learn how to draw. It's not the same thing. And I don't mean this is a positive or negative, just there's differences between someone going to school to get an architectural degree and then learning how to create construction drawings as part of the educational process of becoming an architect. Because I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. And I can tell you of the 5,000 portfolios I've reviewed in the last 10 years. Yeah. Nobody's coming out of college with things that look like construction drawings. 
Yeah, it's very minimal. To me, I think part of it is still that idea that you mentioned at the beginning, that it is seen as part of that internship process. I mean, if you look at it, even the your AXP hours, NCARB requires you. The vast majority of that is in construction document. Oh, yeah. A bulk of those hours are in that process. I think that's why, to me, the academic world kind of puts that off. Because, honestly, there's enough other things that you've got to learn about design. And every office does that process differently. I personally try to teach a little bit of it, but there is not a specific class. Like When I took it, it was my second year of my four-year degree. That's when I learned how to put it together. Well, literally this morning, I got a message through Instagram from somebody who's going to a school only 45 minutes from my house. Mm, yeah. Big architectural program. And they said, is it normal to do a thesis project? Do all schools have thesis projects? And I was like, no, they don't all have them, number one. And I said, by comparison, when I was in school, we had what was called a sound building studio. Mm. And it was the closest thing we had. And this is another interesting sidebar here. It was one of the few design studios I had in the entirety of my college experience where I had a team member. Mm. Every project I did, every semester, it was me by myself except for the sound building studio. That was it. And that is 100% not true anymore. Now it's more likely that you're going to have team member on every project, but maybe one or two. It seems like that's the direction that's going, but that's not what we're talking about. But I told this kid, I said, in my sound building, we actually, it was two of us, we designed it and then we had to document it. But we were supposed to actually turn it into real drawings. This is supposed to be as real a project as we had at my university at the time. Mm -hmm. This was not a lunar modules, portable habitat pod kind of projects. Made out of mirrors. Yeah. This was not that project. This was supposed to be like a real project. Yeah. And we did dimension floor plans and building sections. And I mean, I did window details and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it was the only time I ever did that kind of stuff ever. And I look back on it and I said, well, that's kind of close to a thesis, but it's not a thesis because thesis doesn't have anything to do with producing those sorts of drawings. Thesis is about exploring a very particular idea and seeing it through an entire process. But, but I go, I don't know that anybody requires you to take, I see, I know what I'm saying is not actually true. I just can't think of a way to say it to where you go, you're right. Not because being right is what I'm all about, but it has to do with like, I know in your studio, You'll say, we want you to do a section. We want you to look at the structural system. We want you to incorporate these kind of building systems into your design. Like, I know it. I've seen it in your studio. I've seen mm -hmm. that be a requirement in the project, which is not that far from at least thinking about the construction document. It's not just design, I guess is my point. Sure. There's some technical aspects to it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that that's super typical in studio classes, but as far as like, Here's what goes into a construction drawing set, like plans and elevations and sections and enlarged plans and enlarged details and stair isolated drawings and life safety sheets. Mm -hmm. I'd like to know, and if somebody's listening and they teach at a school that's different from the one that Andrew teaches at, <laughs> yeah, and it's not the same school I went to, says, yes, we teach this. We tell people these are the drawings that are typical, typically found in a set. I'd like to know. I'd like to see it. I don't know. And I'd be honest with you, I don't know because, I mean, I know what I teach, which are, does involve those things, like you say. And in my graduate classes, it's even more, but they still don't get to 
a point of construction document type work. The way you talk about it and then the way that I'm just actually sitting here thinking about it is the difference, I think, is that at the end of the semester, which is what I'm dealing with now with some of my graduate students, because we're doing the same thing where we're getting the details. We're trying to figure out how the envelope gets built and how it all be put together. But at the end of that process, their goal is to present this work in that narrative story. How do I get to here and not right. really lay it out in a maybe in the quite same technical arrangement that would happen in a set of construction documents, right? that it's a different story that you're telling like that. And so I don't know. I think I'd like to think that's not that unusual, but it seems like it is. We have a thesis project in our master's program, but it does all those things as well. They have to carry this idea through, but they also have to make a full building. Yeah. That's the whole point of it as well. So I think it depends on where you go to school, for sure. Right. Some schools are more oriented that way and some aren't. But as far as just sitting down and like you were talking about, a dashed line represents this and a center line represents this. And this is when you use a center line. And this is when you use a dashed line and those kind of representational things. It's funny you mentioned stairs. I'm constantly fighting with students over stairs. How to represent a set of stairs and plan. You know, because yeah. any of the software they use spits out some garbage view of what a stair looks like. And it, this is not how you represent stairs in any sort of plan. Yeah. And nobody really teaches that. That's not something they do. They don't teach that. Yeah. Or look, I'll say this and then we'll move on to the next section because there's an evolution of this conversation I think makes sense. And if we don't want it to take 10 hours and like I go dimensioning, mm -hmm. like literally every person that I've worked with where I was the senior person and they were coming out of school, I had to teach them how to dimension. Like, what does the tick mean? What does the circle mean? Where do I dimension to, to say, yeah. an opening? Or if I have a building mass, I go, look, you typically have like three layers of dimension strings. You got to have an overall. You just have to teach people how to do this. Yeah. And I'm not frustrated by it. It's actually one of the things I like. I don't think I would have this website for as long as I've had it if I didn't like that teaching aspect in some regard. But what this manifested itself into at least where the website's concerned, is I want to say I was looking back at the dates. It's not super old, but it was about five years ago I started a series of posts called the Architectural Graphics Series. And there's Architectural Graphics 101. And the first one I wrote was on reflected ceiling plans. I don't know why I chose that one first. What a way to start. <laughs> well, okay. But probably a very misunderstood thing, though. Well, the reason I probably chose it is because I was doing reflected ceiling plans in that moment. And, you know, and I don't do editorial calendars. I don't plan out what I'm going to talk about. I talk about whatever it is I'm actually doing. Yeah, sure. And I was probably doing something with reflected ceiling plans. I said, all right, I'm going to turn this into a post. So since I started that, and they take forever, the number of times that people go, oh, my God, please keep doing more of these. They love them. They are far and away the most popular. If I write one, guaranteed banger. That's the right word. Yeah, yeah, sure. If I write it, I know it's going to be popular. I know people are going to read it. I know people are going to have opinions about it. I've gotten emails from people saying, we use these in my professional practice class. I just interviewed a young man who, and I mentioned him actually in the last podcast, the most overqualified intern ever in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's so polished. He's like, hey. Everyone in my school knows who you are. And I go, okay, great. That's thanks. Love it. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. He goes, yeah, we actually use your blog as content for our class. In particular, we focus on the graphic series to talk about how drawings are. Yeah. And I was like, 
that's madness. Because one, I'm not an expert, right? This is this is my opinion. Yeah. So I've written to date one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, about ten. I should have could have counted those before we started recording, but <laughs> yeah, well, it's fine. So I've written ten of these things, and they're from things like really low hanging fruit, line weight, or layers, or wall types, or window schedules, things like that. And we're coming up on a million views for those articles. A million. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And I go, this is just what I do and what makes sense to me. Because I didn't learn this stuff when I was in school. Not the way that I do it now. Mm-hmm. And since my whole career has come through, for the most part, very, very small firms, I'm the one that decided how we drew things at a certain point. And obviously people around me influenced what I did or what made sense. Like I still think when I first started doing residential work back in the early 2000s, and this shows up in that reflected ceiling plans post, the guy I worked for is like, when we draw our plans, he goes, I want you to dash in the door. And I was like, I don't understand that. Not in a, I know better way. Cause I didn't know. I just go, so what's the reason? Mm-hmm. And he goes, we like showing the doors dash so that, you're not going to accidentally put the light switch behind the door when it's open. Yeah, so the door swing on a reflected ceiling plan so you can see it. So you know where it is. And I went, that makes sense. That seems pretty logical. It's not a huge extra step. Yeah. So sure. And it just kind of became part of my process. Yeah. So I picked up things all along the way that reflect how I draw. It's not all just the cult of personality of Bob here. Sure. Although I will say to me, and I'm curious to ask you now, the series for me has always had a really strong residential bent to it. Oh, for sure. All the architectural graphics things that you do are very, to me, residential based. Yep. I don't always agree with some of them because of all my work as commercial and public are like different. And so I'm curious if now, do you think you would change some of those things or no? Have you not, since you're back focused on residential work at Boca, would some of those things adjust or not, do you think? Okay. So let's, that's an interesting rabbit hole. I'm willing to take the time to go down it. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to misdirect you, but no, I understand how intense they are. I agree that it's like it's crazy to make, but when I look at them, sometimes I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not how I was taught in a commercial environment to do that stuff. It's close, but it's a little bit different. So I'm looking through the categories because there's no categories titled six inch equals a foot yeah, sure. detail, sure. right? There's none of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So out of all the ones I have, so I have like reflected ceiling plans. That's one we brought it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do not do commercial RCP drawings like we do residential. Mm-hmm. And that's because I don't have MEP engineers on my residential jobs. Yeah. So that the way they document it is different than the way I would document it because mine are living within architectural drawings, what they are and how they work and what their role is, mm-hmm. as opposed to they're showing up in mine for layout purposes, but most of that information and switching diagrams, they're on the electrical drawings. Mm-hmm. Those are different. But then if I look at like drawing alignments and notes. Yeah, that's probably not much difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people don't necessarily agree with it. I was surprised that people had such hot opinions, whether you left justify or right justify, basing if it's on the inside of the wall or the outside of the wall. Outside of the wall? Yeah. But that's fine. Line weight. I still think my drawings look better than anyone else's drawings. I I really, if you don't use line weight, it jumps out at me. And so Mm -hmm. as soon as I see drawings with line weight, they look better. Yeah. And that's a whole different issue about why take the time to just make your drawings pretty. I don't think that's really the only purpose why of the value that it adds, but- Layers, you know, that one's different now. And we've had some really interesting conversations about layers. 
I will say that my layers and how I draw stuff really was uh, reflected with the software that I used, mm. which at the time was AutoCAD. AutoCAD. Yeah, yeah. It had to do with creating shortcut keys and search and how we laid out drawings within a single file was not BIM related. So that's different. Mm. It's just like almost a non-issue anymore. Sort of. Yeah. Wall types, window schedules, title blocks, finish schedules. I don't think that I would change how those work between the two. Mm-hmm. The only thing, like, finish schedule still kind of makes me chuckle because people are really passionate about what abbreviations you use. Yes. And I go, look, I'm willing to concede that there's differences. I've never been able to convince when someone goes, ST is is stone. It's not seating. <laughs> Whatever it is in my brain, that is, that is what it is in my brain. Yeah. Yeah. And I still remember that I got into a big argument. It's funny that I would describe it as a big argument, like it's that important. But one of the people I used to work with, they had finished materials selected by wall finishes or ceiling finishes or floor finishes. Mm. And I was like, no, it's just a finish. That tile, if it's on the floor, it's still tile. If it's on the wall, it's tile. It's on the ceiling, it's tile. Yeah. It's like be like calling a different paint for the wall and the ceiling and the floor if it's all the same paint. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not wall paint or ceiling paint. (laughs) It's it's just paint. paint. Yeah. And if I have a different finish on it, it's a different paint. So it's not like I need a wall paint because I'm using eggshell, but that same color in a flat on my ceiling, I go, yeah, just use a different paint abbreviation because there's going to be times when you go, hey, this wall and that wall and that ceiling and that it's all the same paint. So what do I need? Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand it. So anyway, I started this architectural graphics series and it appears to be the curriculum for a lot of people on how to actually do drawings, which kind of underscores the idea that (laughs) People aren't being taught, taught this, this stuff, kind of sure. stuff in school. Or in their office. To me, that's what seems even weirder. But maybe it is just school people. Well, I don't have an official count, but I can tell you a lot of people use those posts to weaponize their argument with their office as to why they should do something different. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, I want to do it the way you're doing it, and this is going to allow me to make that case, that argument. And I'm like, yes, that's wrong. Don't do that. Yeah. One other architect says this is how it should be. Yeah. So it's just the idea that this is what made sense to me. There was an evolution to how I did it because, you know, that's the thing about working in small firms. You figure things out for yourself or you look at old drawings, which that's a whole nother, an entirely separate conversation mm-hmm. when it comes to just go get a set of drawings and look to see how someone did it in the past and then do that. People don't look at drawings anymore. I know in my office that comes up from time to time. We'll say, well, did you go look at that set of drawings? They're like, no, I didn't do that. I'm like, well, there you go. And I don't know if it's because when I was younger, I really don't want to have good old day syndrome because I'm not necessarily saying it's a good old day, but we had drawings laying around. I could go pick up a set of drawings and put them on my desk and look to see how something was dimensioned. And then I'd copy it. Yeah. Now... Drawing sets don't really exist Exist in that same capacity. They're like, oh, it's all online. We printed it out digitally. We mark it up digitally. We email it out to people. It doesn't really ever get printed out anymore. And I don't know if that makes the distinction. Maybe the people that grow up with it being that way, it's fine for them. Mm-hmm. But the number of times I get people saying, I don't know how to do this. And I go, well, did you go look and see how someone else did it? No. Let's do that first. <laughs> yeah let's take a beat and go look and see if you can't come up with how this is done yeah there's no need to reinvent the wheel i get that a lot too with students somebody else has done this let's see how they did it first yeah i just don't want to be the guy that all of a sudden i'm the one teaching everybody how to produce drawings because 
Yeah. Dude, I'm making it up. I'm making it up as I go, and I'm just doing what makes sense to me. Yeah. While I think that there's logic behind it, we've all had those conversations with, I mean, I've had it more times than I care to admit. Maybe that makes me a jerk, but if somebody does something that I don't agree with in my office, and they'll start defending it. Well, I did this because of that. And I go, I don't need to know your reasons. I know you're a smart person. I know you had a reason for doing what you did. I just don't want that done that way. Right? So we're not talking about whether or not you had justification. Yeah. We're not going that way. Yeah. And that's not a because I said so moment because you know I'm very anti because I said so. So we'll say this is why I want you to do it my way Mm -hmm. or the way or this particular way, which is not always my way, just for the record, as I see you giggling on the other side. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, look, we don't draw the way. Okay, that's not true either. I was going to say I'm in a big firm now. Yeah. Who's ever going to draw things the Bob Borson way at a firm with 100 plus employees? Well, you know, we have a residential studio now. But now you have the residential studio and that's what's happening. Yeah. And we're changing the way that we draw stuff. Sure. But, you know, there's a reason for that. And that's a good segue to this next portion because it has to do with, as we started the residential studio, we are going through the process of evaluating what we draw and does it add value because it takes time, takes effort. It creates a demand on resources that we have to justify to a certain extent. I have a big firm people's time is and everybody's so busy right now i don't want to create busy work for anybody and i will tell you that the reactions lately that i've been getting to my sets has not been entirely positive Mm, yeah and i don't know that may sound like a stupid thing to say on a podcast that i have some control over (laughs) don't put on your own podcast that your drawings aren't being received well so let me clarify what that actually means we draw a lot of drawings And in my mind, I think that has value to it. The idea that I'm solving something on paper so that you don't have 20 people standing around on the job site wondering what's going on or how to do something or we didn't think about that or, hey, guess what? This doesn't actually hit that point. I go, well, we would know that because we would have drawn it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have this project down in San Antonio. I've talked about a lot. And what I haven't told anybody is that project is on life support at the moment. Mm. It's on life support because we couldn't find qualified contractors interested in building it. And the ones that were interested in building it were charging so much to do it that it made absolutely no sense to move forward with it. Mm. If I compared that to, I have another project similar in size that was slightly an elevated level of finishes in it than this project in San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio project was twice the cost per square foot as this other project was. And I'm like, I don't understand why. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Do not understand why. And when we talked to the contractors, they'd say, well, this is a really nice house. And I go, well, thanks. And they're like, well, you know, it's complicated. And I go, it's not complicated. There's nothing about this house that's complicated. There might be like this handrail. You can't buy it out of a catalog. Yes. So I agree in that sense. It's elevated from catalog level Mm -hmm. stuff. From off the shelf stuff. Yeah, but I go, It's an L-shaped building. There's no crickets. There's no valleys. Yeah. It's a single ridge line, gable end. It's about as straightforward as they come. And they're like, wow, look at all this. And I could tell that they were just looking at the amount of drawings that we'd prepared. And it was freaking them out. Mm -hmm. Because they don't want to have to be beholden to doing it the way we drew it. So having all these drawings was kind of seen as a bad thing. Which I don't understand that. Because I can tell you, the better the contractor is, 
the less likely I am to get that attitude. Yeah. I think that's always been a prevalent thing, having more drawings. When I went to try to build my house 20 years ago, it was the same thing. I had just detailed everything out, but you go to give it to someone to build, and they're like, ooh, this is, we're used to having six sheets of drawings, and you've got 20. This must be a crazy, complicated thing. And it's like, no. Yeah, so hard. I just figured out how to do everything. I didn't just give you floor plans, elevations, and a roof plan. I'll just let you go off and figure it all out. And I think part of it, though, is now, in my mind, the way that that comes about is that because we're doing things three-dimensionally, we're building all these three-dimensional models, we can figure all of those things out in the design process, in the documentation process. Whereas before, we might not have been able to. If you didn't remember that there's some weird little condition where things meet and join together, you couldn't really figure it out because it just had to be done in the field. There was a mentality of, well, they just figured it out in the field that is somewhat slowly disappearing because we have the ability to figure all that stuff out in the office before it even gets to the job site, before it gets to the documents and we're putting it in there. And so these documents sets get bigger and bigger and there's more information in them. And that's a good thing, but to some people, it seems like a bad thing. We've talked about it before. There's a fine line of, well, just because I can make 16 sections and 18 wall details doesn't mean I should. That's a different thing. But the fact that we can actually figure a lot of things out beforehand because we're looking at it three-dimensionally and able to actually draw it three-dimensionally and even we could detail it three-dimensionally and all these sorts of things lends itself to even higher level of detail that wasn't maybe necessarily possible before. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing either, but here's... Since you introduced the idea that residential and commercial could be different in how they're documented, Mm -hmm. on the residential side of things, we seem to be going backwards. Everybody wants less drawings. Oh, yeah. Well, it seems like it's punitive. The more drawings I create, the more you're going to have to pay for it to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this has to do with, and this could probably be its own topic. If I'm working with a good contractor, like a good contractor, and I'm doing a nice house, Nice is subjective. I understand that. Let's just say one that's got a healthy cost per square foot to it. Those contractors that do that type of work, man, they love all the drawings they can get. And the sooner they get them, the better. Mm -hmm. They love it. And that's the world that, you know, that kind of white glove, high touch, extra additional level of service, all that kind of stuff. Those contractors love it. When I'm trying to do a house for like just regular folks like me, if I was going to do a house for myself. Mm -hmm. I would look at it and say, how do I figure out how to convey the important bits, but not create a set of drawings that's going to scare the contractor that I can afford to put on this type of project? Yeah. So we recently hired a guy. Funny thing is, is I knew him through social media years ago. And during the interview process, he sent me some residential work. He was really interested coming in the office and working together on residential projects. This is something he really wanted to do. So he sent me an example of one of his residential sets. And they're nice. They're pretty sets. They're nice drawings. I can tell this guy cares. Mm-hmm. You can tell he wants the drawings to look good. And he comes from a background to where he designed it. He documented it. He did the CA on it. He worked for a small firm and sure. you did it all. Did it all. Yeah. So when he sent me the set, the first thing that jumped out at me is the drawings, they're pretty dense. There's not a lot of, here's one sheet dedicated to the placement of saw cut lines, patterns in the slab. Yeah. Because it'd be hard to find otherwise. And so now, since we have the ability to say, if you're going to grind the floor before you do the rest of the framing, let me give you a plan of just the concrete table. Mm-hmm. 
and dimensionally locate where all the saw cut lines are. So you don't have to like try to figure it out when I've got walls and dimension strings and arrows and symbols all over the place. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. His sets are paginated to 11 by 17. Mm -hmm. The construction drawing set is on 11 by 17 paper. Sure. It had 25. There were 25 11 by 17 pieces of paper on it for the whole set, which works out to be about five E-size sheet, 30 by 42s, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That 4,400 square foot house we did in San Antonio architecturally had 42 sheets in it, E-size sheets, which means I had 800% more paper and drawings than he did. Now, the difference is, is we drew every interior elevation. If it has something on the wall, we drew it. We placed outlets. We put switches. I mean, he had electrical lighting plans, exterior elevations, a couple of, I'll say generic it sounds like I'm talking smack about them. They're just, everything was shaded that you cut through. So there wasn't structural data within the assembly of the envelope sure, being sure. articulated. And he had two wall sections. And that was it. I think there was probably three or four foundation details. That was it. Whereas, I think I had like four pages of interior elevations. I had cabinet sections, millwork sections on how we wanted the yeah. millwork to be laid out. Yeah. We had... Floor plans, electrical plans, RCP plans. We had a scoring plan so that we could tell people where we wanted the saw cut lines because the concrete floor was the finished finished floor surface. Yeah. yeah. And I think we ended up having 12 or 16 wall sections that were in it. And every one of them was different. Look, and I'll tell you, I tell people, hey, don't cut this wall section right through here because you're clipping through a window. Move it two feet that way and you'll have a much simpler wall section because it still conveys the same amount of information. And you're going to have window details anyway at least in my set you have window details yeah his set no window details mm. i go do you have any problems getting this thing built and he's like nope no problems and i go i think my sets need to be more than what that set was but less than what they are now yeah but less than what it is yeah. because i certainly don't want these sets to become punitive to clients yeah and so it's like if you're building a current market value 300 to 350 dollars square foot house i need to dumb down the sets yeah. Which is crazy to me to think that. It was just scary also. Scary in a way that I feel like it's, I'm not trying to figure so much out and I'm leaving so much up to someone else to figure out down the line in the field. And if it's not there, then they're just going to do whatever they do. And then if I happen to show up yeah, and see it and nobody will ever want to tear anything out. That's the biggest no-no ever. It's a rarity, I think, when stuff gets torn out after it's put in. You just figure out some way to work around it. 42 pages, that does seem a lot of E-size sheets. That's a lot of paper for a house. It's a lot. Yeah. I look at it and I go, so this client, who's awesome, by the way, really nice, really friendly. I mean, the amount of detail that they wanted, this wasn't me just out on an island going, hey, you know, how many drawings can I create? Cause <laughs> I need 48 pages. That's yeah. not how we did it. Yeah. He would make comments and he'd say, hey, I don't see all the conduits that I want run in my plan because mm. I want to do some pre-wire action and then I want to future proof for some stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of information, a lot of coordination that goes into it. And as a result, we get more drawings, mm-hmm. we get more drawings. Sure. Like there's something specific. You know what I didn't have? I didn't have any trim details. Our set wasn't even done. Mm. We were still missing some of the finished details because we're like, we got to get it priced. And the pricing came back and we're like, this is just stupid. The pricing was stupid based on the information we'd provided Mm -hmm. because 
So as we sat down with these contractors, the amount of mistakes I found, I mean, this worked out $588 a square foot. That's where this house was coming in at. And it should have been more like 350. Yeah. It's really what it should have been. And in a four hour meeting, the amount of mistakes that I found, which were indicative of them not paying attention to the drawings. They just either don't look at drawings or not interested in looking at drawings. We had one cabinet. Imagine a whole house of cabinets. We had one cabinet that the owner goes, I want like a really slick auto body finish on this one cabinet right here. We're like, you got it. Mm -hmm. This is going to be cool because it's like a feature element right when you walk in the door. They put that finish on every piece of millwork in the house. And that includes closets and bedrooms three, four, and five. And I'm like, what? Why would you? And I just happened to notice on their pricing. I go, why is these closets being priced out at $9,500? It's a hang rod and two shelves. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you want this super nice finish. I go, no, no, I don't. Did you? And I'm saying it now to break down a five-minute conversation into a 15-second soundbite. I go, did you even look at the finish schedule? We literally have, for that room, we identify the millwork quality. Here's what it is. Pink grade. Blah, blah, blah. Here's what it is. It's in the legend. Here's it scheduled. The whole thing. Just blew it. And so we got it down from $588 a square foot to $415 a square foot in four hours just by finding mistakes of stuff that's in the drawings. Yeah. And I go, I don't know if they're just bad at reading drawings. They ask good questions when they asked them. But I was just like, I mean, are you kidding me? And I go, if you're not going to read the drawings, what value do the drawings have? Mm-hmm. And I go, is that the direction that the residential marketplace is going that architects are being priced out of anything less than $600 a foot work because it's just cheaper to hire a builder and just roll the dice and hope you get what you want. And you walk in and go, I guess that's fine. Yeah. I have an opinion about these five things. And let's just hope the other 95 are on the same level as what my expectation or the rest of the house is. I don't know what it is. But I will tell you on the commercial side of things, contractors want more Mm -hmm. now. For sure. Even more drawings. For sure. It's exactly different. Yeah. Opposite. Oh, I know. Yeah. For sure they want more. I think that's interesting, though, because I feel like even in that, and again, I'm coming from any of the, the housework that I've done, the residential work that I've done, it's been on a, it's not high-end stuff. It's mid-grade. And it's always been that way of if it's too much information, they automatically default to it's something that's expensive. I've always been like, well, I'm just, I've detailed stuff out. There is not, this is sheetrock and paint and normal studs and there's nothing there that's out of the ordinary. But if you go into detailing those things and like you say, providing interior elevations and millwork sections and things like that, that it seems like that level of contractor or builder, honestly, that's not what they want and that's not what they're used to. They're used to getting six sheets of drawings, floor plans, elevations, no sections probably. Yeah. A roof plan and they just go and it's what they're used to doing. And any deviation from that, even if it's not a deviation from that, but perceived deviation from that yes. is crazy. Yes. It's like, no, what? You're asking me to do all this different stuff. It's like, no, there's no different stuff. Yeah. Yeah. If, <laughs> if I detail a one by four base and they're going to go, whoa, that's fancy. If I did nothing, they would have just put in a one by four base. Exactly. Yeah. It's, right? it's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, I don't understand it, and it's an interesting segue to the next nuanced part of this conversation is that more drawings doesn't necessarily mean 
more money. I'm not getting paid more (laughs) to do more drawings. It's actually the inverse. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if I've just been indoctrinated or if I'm snake bit or whatever the case may be, but if I draw something, which I've, I've had a few times, I didn't go nuts on it. And they're like, well, you didn't tell the contractor that you wanted this blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that is so granular. That amount of detail that you just brought up right there. If I were to extrapolate that out over the entirety of this project, I mean, I'd be working on this 800 hours a day for the next year. (laughs) Yeah. I can't do it. And you don't want to pay that. So this sliding expectation of what level of service do you want to pay for versus what level of service do you want to receive by giving the contractor flexibility to do what it is they do yeah, without feeling like they're going to get punished if they didn't do exactly what I told them to do, but yet you want them to do what you told me you wanted them to do. Complicated, I know, but everyone can probably keep up with the theory of what I'm describing. Yes. And so, could I do a six-page set? A hundred percent. Yeah, right. How many calls am I going to get going, well, that's not what I thought I was getting, or that's not what I wanted, Yeah. or why, and you know what, here's something else, and this is so already tastes bad in my mouth and I haven't said it. <laughs> Let's hear that then. Let's go. <laughs> Those are my favorite. I know. If you want a house that can be articulated in six page sets, why can't you just go buy a house that already exists? Because clearly you're not wanting something that specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. You know, that's what I understand. And I'm not saying that as a service provider, I'm advocating that everyone should just go buy pre-existing houses because literally it's how yeah. I pay my bills is by people hiring me to do this kind of work. Sure. But there has to be some kind of value in it. And at what point does the value diminish because you've absolved everybody from the decision-making process ahead of time in order to achieve what? A cheaper house? Is it a quantity over quality issue? I'm not necessarily sure that that's true because we already made the point that if I call out for a one by four base, it's going to cost more than if I don't tell them what it is. And he just puts in a one by four base. Mm-hmm. That's very real. I believe that to be very real. Yeah, me too. And I go, at what point do you go, I'm paying for something because I want it articulated ahead of time. And the more information I can put on the drawings means the more accurate the roadmap is to get me from where we're at to where I want to be which tells me this is how much something should cost. So I have an understanding and I don't have this fear factor. You know, I'm not worried that my contractor saying, well, I don't know what this is going to be because they haven't told me. So I'm going to put a 0.25 X additional multiplier on this Mm -hmm. just to cover the unknown because you don't know what you want. Yeah. I'm at a loss for that. And I don't know what the answer is, but something in my brain is telling me that it's in between what I'm doing and what the guy I just hired has been doing. Yeah. Maybe I got to figure out how can I get to 20 pages. Yeah. And I find also that there's a struggle, I mean, even in, I mean, it may be not a commercial work as much because, again, like you say, there's more details there. But sometimes a lot of the stuff we put on the page is not just for the contractor. It's for the client to understand what's happening. Or like you said earlier, they want to see that stuff. So it's like, how do you, can you self-edit? Well, I got to show this to the client, but I don't have to show the contractor. But that doesn't really work because... When you're producing these drawings, the client's looking at them as well. So they're like, well, where's this and where's that? And you're like, well, yeah, we talked about it, but you know, for sure. It's an interesting thing that the unknown, having stuff that's unknown seems more (laughs) economically feasible than having stuff that's 
known. We're talking about this. Yes. It's like, it's like wait, okay. So if, if everything's ambiguous, I mean, I guess that that's probably what it is, though. If it's ambiguous, I can do what I want. If it's not ambiguous, it seems like I've got to do something that may not be what I typically do. That's the automatic default, even if it's something you would typically do, like our one-by-four-based discussion. Well, it's also impacting how contracts are being written with contractors. No, uh-huh. It used to be that we would competitively bid these projects 20 years ago. And so you needed as thorough and as complete of documentation as you could get so that everyone was pricing apples to apples. Mm -hmm. That was part of it. But as we've moved into cost plus, it's like saying, hey, I want to get to Kansas City. Mm -hmm. And you can figure out how you want us to get what route to take to Kansas City. And maybe it'll cost you more gas because you chose a route. Or maybe it'll take you longer because you're not taking highways. But I'm not telling you how to do that. I'm just saying it when this is all said and done, I want to be in Kansas City. Mm. We're leaving it wide open. Yeah. As opposed to me saying, you're going to take I-75 north for 322 miles and you're going to take exit 625B and you're going to, I'm so specific because then you can say, well, this is how long I got to rent the truck for and this is how much fuel I'm going to need. And they don't want to know that. Yeah. And so in order to keep them from, again, my word of the podcast today is punitive. Instead of them like punishing us for being that specific, you're thinking, you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. I've done, I've solved this problem for you so that you know what it is, but we don't want to hold those people to having that level of specificity. So we just kind of go, it costs what it costs. And then you put your markup on it. Mm -hmm. Are you okay with that? Mr. Contractor, Mrs. Contractor? Yeah. Just don't kill me. We want you to be on the same side of the table with us. Yeah. We're trying to collaborate on this. And in my mind, collaboration means, hey, I've told you exactly what it is that I want. If you have a better way of doing it, let's have a conversation. That's collaboration of mine. Not, I want to end up in Kansas City, just figure out how to get me there. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. That marginalizes all the time that me and the client have spent together to figure out why we do what we do and why we're going to do it the way that we're going to do it before that person shows up. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that. And here's the other part. Well, you know, we start off by saying that more drawings doesn't mean I'm making more money. I'm not getting paid more money to do all this additional documentation. But I will tell you, we have two ways that we charge in my office. We charge either by the hour, which some people prefer, because those are the people that go, I know exactly what I want, or I understand where the things that I want to have input in. Mm -hmm. And we make fast decisions. We turn things around very quickly. Yeah. Hourly is how I charge as a business. So that's what I want from you. Sure. Or we do a percentage of the cost of construction. Mm. It's really pretty straightforward. And the percentage of construction that I charge now is the exact same percentage of construction that the firm I worked for two firms ago was charging. So what I'm charging people in 2022 is no different than what we were charging people in 2008. Yeah. I mean, percentage has not changed. Sure. And guess what that comes with? That comes with whatever you want. Yeah. It, there's no. That's all the meetings. Yeah. All the site visits. There is no, well, you get three meetings during schematic design and two meetings during design. Nope. You want more? Let's meet more. You want another option? Let's look at another option, which is a terrible way to run a business. Yeah. That's a little nuts. Quite honestly, that's just kind of what it is. It is the world of the high touch white glove residential service provider. And that doesn't necessarily mean expensive. It just means you got options. But somehow we've marginalized options by solving problems on paper before, like, like I said earlier, there's 20 people standing in the field going, well, that didn't work. What are we going to do now? And I have fewer options because stuff exists. Yeah, exactly. Well, and like you were talking about, 
it's in the notes about that next point. If we go back to our Kansas City analogy, it seems it's okay if you're just going to get someone who has no idea where Kansas City is, and they've never been that way before, and they have no idea what roads and highways are. But if we just say, hey, you want to get to Kansas City, you just have to be there in three days, that that's okay. But if we say, you want to get to Kansas City, here's the road you take, here's the edge you take, like we tell them exactly how to get there, that that's more problematic. And I know this happens a lot, can relate this to the commercial industry for sure, is that skilled labor, we've talked about this before a long time ago on the podcast, getting more and more difficult to find. So if we lay everything out, those people are like following directions. I mean, it's almost like our construction documents are Ikea instructions, but better because there's words and not just some little dipstick dude with a hammer. But right. but I mean, it's easier for someone who is not as skilled, who doesn't have the experience, all these things to be able to understand and do it. And because we know that that's happening more and more and more, that there's less experienced people, the trades people are sometimes, depending on what it is, and I think in the, I shouldn't say that, all the construction markets, it happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes somebody shows up today and they're like, hey, yesterday you were doing this, today you're going to be doing that. They're not even the same thing. Yeah. If we give them the proper instructions, it seems like that would be more beneficial and make it easier for everyone involved. But somehow it, it doesn't work that way. They just want it to be more ambiguous, seems somehow more economical. You know, look, let's end it on that because that really sums it up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to take that. I go, it's kind of what it is. Yeah. The more specifics I put to it, which you'd think would be helpful, which would be, hey, here's instructions on how to do the thing I'm asking you to do. And they're like, I don't want that. I don't want you to put me in a corner and box me in. I want to do it the way that I want to do it, even though maybe I don't know how to do it. I'll figure it out and it'll be better. Uh, maybe. Yeah. And the owner's like, all right, sounds good to me. Yeah. What? No, it doesn't. That sounds bad. That's That sounds like a bad plan. Yeah. All right. So I would imagine that we're going to have additional construction chats in the future, which is why I kind of introduced this the way that I did, like an introduction, which is a Sunday morning <laughs> vent. <laughs> yeah. I go, look, I just want to talk about it. We try. I'm not sure it's working out. We're going to have to pivot in some way. We have altruistic goals and intentions, but those aren't necessarily like land in the way we want them to land. And we're trying to fix it. We're trying to make things better. So there's going to be an ongoing series of conversations about this, I would imagine. Sure. From time to time. I mean, I think there's a whole other conversation we didn't even peek into. And I'm, I'd be curious. I don't want to rabbit hole it, but when there's no more drawings and we're just handing people 3D models. Yeah. What happens then? But that's a whole other can of worms. We don't want to get down that road. I know, because I start thinking, what about specs? Because I didn't even bring up specs. Yeah, like we I do, know. we do yeah. sheet specs in our sets, and everybody looks at them like, "Oh my god!" Literally, this is the instructions for how you build a thermonuclear device, <laughs> and they're like, "What?" And I go, yeah. "No, it's just I'm asking for you to do this, and if you don't know, if you have a question, here's an answer." Yeah, think of it like the Q and A, and they look at it going. They think I've weaponized the drawings by adding the specifications in the set. Yeah. Concrete? What? You're telling me what kind of concrete to use? Yeah. And I go, don't you want to know, like, when we polish the concrete, like, how we want it polished? Like, I want it polished to 400 grit. Don't you think that would be of importance? Yeah. And they're like, well, normally we do it to 800. So 400 is going to cost more because that's what you're telling me to do. Wait, what? No, yeah. that's not how that works. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to... <laughs> The really intelligent part of today's yeah, call. Let's pivot out of that. Let's pivot out of this. All right. So we have a new would you rather question. And I wrote this one 
right before we jumped on this call. So it's not my best work. I'm just, you know, it's just not my best. These are getting hard. Actually, Andrew and I talked about a new style of question that we might put in at the end, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're just going to have to wait until the next episode. I think we're going to unveil it in the next episode, Mm. which by the way, is the 100th episode of Life of an Architect podcast. Wow. That's a big milestone for some stuff. I don't know. I didn't think we'd get there. (laughs) It's a nice start of this. I didn't think it was going to happen, but so here we go. Let's get into today's would you rather question. And here it is. Would you rather have 12 consecutive hours of your day, five days a week broadcast for anyone to watch or one hour a week of you singing or dancing? Like that's what they're watching. It's only one hour, but it's you doing something that clearly I know you're not good at. I'm thinking you're not a great singer. I'm an awesome singer. I don't believe it. Okay. And I don't believe you're a great dancer. Mm. I mean, one... It's not what you do. You are not a professional singer or dancer. This is true. You might be awesome on the wedding dance floor. But that's not what we're talking about. Uh, People sure. are going to get to see you, Andrew Hawkins' performance, Friday night, 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Check it out. One hour of the chicken dance. <laughs> One hour of the chicken dance. Or 12 hours consecutive of your day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, are just, it's on. It's like the Truman Show. 12 hours of whatever you do for that day is just, if somebody wants to turn in, they're like, Andrew's watching TV. Mm-hmm. He's making banana chip bread right now. Yeah. That's what it is. So which one of those would you... Can I pick the sleeping hours? It's just me sleeping? Although that would be super creepy. No, no, I know. <laughs> I think that... Well, there's other kind of... Like, you got to set it. So I'm thinking I would probably choose from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Because there's definitely a chunk of my day that I don't want you seeing. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. It's it's me. It's me when I'm completely ready and out the door. Yes. Yeah. Right. But whatever it is, let's admit it. You're going to see me picking my nose or there's some stuff that you're going to do. It's not great. Sure. You're not going to see me in my best light all the time because for those 12 hours, five days a week, I have no privacy. Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah, but it's impossible. Yeah. Even though I might be by myself. And then it's... One hour of dancing. Of you performing. A week? That's it? A week. That's it. So it's one hour versus 60 hours, essentially, is the question. Yeah. But it's one hour of impossible embarrassment versus 60 hours or whatever. Well, I mean, I like to think that, well, all I'm saying is singing or dancing. And here's the logic behind it. The 12 hours a day, you're doing whatever. It's kind of like... Yeah, it's just following you around. It's your day. Would you rather people see you doing the practice or the performance? Mm, I guess it's kind of the way I the way I thought of it. Okay. And in my mind, I thought I would rather show the effort in the work in the practice, what it goes into taking the effort it takes to make something a reality, rather than flip the switch, lights are on, mic comes up, go. Mm, I gotcha. In my mind. Interesting. That's the kind of the way I've thought of this question. That's an interesting perspective. That's not why I, how I was thinking about it. Probably, though, just because I feel like it would annoy me, I think I would just go for the one hour of singing or dancing. Oh, really? Because the time of following me around or just broadcasting everything I do for essentially most of the day, mm-hmm. I just, no, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. You know, when I first did it, I thought, 12 hours a day, that's so invasive. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking that if I did it, I could do it as 
well, I'm going to learn how to sing or I'm going to learn how to dance in that one hour. And hopefully over time, I will get better. You'll get better? I'll get better. Well, here's what I dispute about that. I think that if you're performing for an hour, that you're going to practice. You're going to get lessons. Think of it as like, it's like the Super Bowl. It's on NBC or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It's not just some community cable access channel <laughs> yeah. that you're on. A lot of people will stumble onto this. Mm -hmm. And you're going to see yourself humiliate. And they're going to go, oh my God, this guy's so bad. Eh. Not eh, like, because I'm really not that bad. I mean, eh. If I'm watching it on made for primetime network television, yeah. it better be pretty good. Mm. It better be pretty good. I don't think you're that level good. I don't think I am either. At the same time, I'm like, it doesn't really bother me. It's fine. I guess maybe it's like, I'm not going to be that embarrassed or I won't embarrass that easily because it's just like, man, nobody's going to expect that. You were saying that, but I'm just like, well, if I stink, I stink and maybe I'll get better. Maybe I won't. Or maybe it's just, I'll take that one hour a week to do the chicken dance over and over and over and over and over. And nobody will want to watch anymore. Because mm. <laughs> who wants to watch a one hour of the chicken dance? No one. Zero. I know, but first off, I think it says something about your character that you're willing to submarine that one hour to make it so bad so that nobody watches it. Yeah. It says I'm smart. I, I, I don't know. Like you just like you give no no <laughs> about how people would perceive like, I don't want to suck at anything. Uh -huh. And so I know that if, if I had one hour that I had to be, I mean, think about doing karaoke in a bar. That's, I don't. Right? Yeah. I don't want to do that because yeah. I don't want to go up there and go, wow, you could have put a little more effort into that. Mm. I think that I'd want to practice. I would do things. Mm. Just like, let's say you're going to do the, uh, kick this field goal for $25,000. Are you telling me you're not going to go practice that field goal? That's different though. That's $25,000. You don't think that all of a sudden people are going to buy into the cult of Andrew and with his singing or his dancing or whatever? Like, No. Nothing like that exists. No. I'm convinced that, well, for me, I decided that I'm going to do the 12 hours. Hmm. It becomes something different. If you can just make peace with the fact, and I'm not saying that there's like Earl is over there with a camera. It's magic. It's like the Truman Show. There's cameras, but you're not aware of them. Mm, okay. That sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I want to be aware of them enough so that I don't forget that I'm actually on camera. <laughs> you know, it's like I do something that maybe people are like, whoa, hey, you know, I don't want that kind of stuff. But for me, I just broke it down to I'd rather see the work and the effort and the practice. I think that would be more interesting to me as a spectator than the one hour performance. Yeah, but I'm not thinking about it from the spectator perspective. I'm thinking about it from my own perspective. Also, in that 12 hours, how many times am I going to go to the bathroom? What happens then? I don't want that. <laughs> I think we can say you go into the bathroom and the door's closed. Okay. <laughs> We're not trying to make this scatologically damaging to people who might be watching. Again, I think it's funny to me, the perspective of in that 60 hours, there's more of a chance of me doing something that was unintentionally embarrassing or I don't want to say damaging because I don't think I do anything that would be damaging, but. Something like that happening in that 60 hours of exposure in a week versus the one hour that I plan for. And even if I do practice, even if I do try to get better, it's still just one hour of something that I have more control over as opposed to 60 hours a week that I'm not going to have as much control over in a way. All right. One last consideration. Okay. Not a, an additional rule. I'm not trying to twist it up. Here. All right. I think it's the idea that if someone can see the 12 hours a day part, it makes you more human, and so therefore your mistakes or your errors makes you a realer person. Mm -hmm. And it makes those things easier to 
your faults become part of who you are and makes you more approachable, more endearing, more charming as, as it were. Assuming that you're not doing something like kicking dogs or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're a good person trying to do good things and you're living your life. And clearly with the amount of reality TV shows we have, people are fascinated by people just being people. Sure. The idea that you can just watch somebody existing in their life and there's a fascination associated with that. I think it also removes a, a lot of the pressure to like nail it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm just willing to concede one hour of my life that's just whatever. I don't know that I would ever put that effort to it to make it feel like a performance. It would just be like, yeah, here it is. All right. Because I'm just giving away that hour. We just disagree in that regard. But that one hour wouldn't be an hour for me, for sure. It'd be one hour that you see, but. It's just like if I'm going to give a presentation, I'm going to put time into that presentation before I go on stage to give it. I agree. I would too. But in this scenario, this is a throwaway hour. Ugh, I couldn't do it. All right. It's a throwaway hour. Okay. Well, interesting. So I guess that just underscores some of the major characteristic differences <laughs> that you and I have. <laughs> You're like, this is the personality equivalent of flipping the table. Like, I don't care. It's one hour of my life. <laughs> Right? This is what, you, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to clean the table before I flip it, kind of thing. So, well, it's just that I can let something go. I've got the ability to just be like, meh, that's fine. Let it go. I'll spend that other time when I'm not on camera focusing on the stuff I need to focus on. All right. Fair enough. All right. So, let's wrap it up. I think we had an interesting primer of a conversation for what I hope will be an interesting series of conversations down the road. So, thank you for being with us today for episode 99 Construction Drawings. Special thanks to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. Want to get every new episode automatically downloaded? Make sure to hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast player of choice so you can get alerted every time we publish a super duper new episode. While you're there, please consider leaving us a comment, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a five star, but I'm going to do the work of 10 stars rating. To get even more content, head over to lifeofanarchitect.com for blog posts, links, and info about this awesome episode and all the website has to offer. You can even add your own voice and join the conversation. I thought about putting in, leave us a five star, but I'm going to do the work of 10 stars, but only get paid for three stars rating. <laughs> mouthful, but that would have worked. I know, it's a long one. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Take it easy, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>